0: He was a guest on the Carol Burnett Show before he became a regular. I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We are so happy to have you back with us again today for some more incredible stories. Folks, we're so happy that you're here. And if you happen to be new, welcome to our show. Guess what? If you decide that you like our stories, you can hit that subscribe button. And then every Friday, you will be treated to some incredible stories. And today, we're going to be talking about one of the uh, funniest men on TV in the uh, mid-70s and 80s. Started out with the Carol Burnett Show, did a lot of stuff, um, and was partners with, was it Harvey Korman? He was. And uh, so we're so excited to share that story today. Take it away, Dad. Tell us a little bit more about who we might be talking about.
0: Okay. I'm going to back up just a second. Uh, And you mentioned, Gary, that uh, our podcasts are free. I got a report from somebody that... On some of the platforms, they're actually charging uh, to uh, hear our platform. So, folks, if you're paying money to hear our uh, podcast, uh, you might want to check and see if you could uh, find us on a different platform because we are free on all of the major platforms, right, Gary?
1: That is correct. If you go to uh, Spotify or if you have an uh, Amazon account or if you like I- to listen on Google or our radio, I mean, there's a lot of, Free things if you have Alexa. You can listen to us there completely free.
0: Yep. So um, that uh, settled. Uh, you did mention um, uh, the funny man, Tim Conway, and we do have your sister, Amber, as a guest with us once again this evening here in the studio. Welcome, Amber.
2: Thank you for having me back.
0: Oh, it is our pleasure indeed. Uh, I'll make one slight correction. Uh, Tim Conway didn't get his start on The Carol Burnett Show, he goes all the way back to the 1960s. When he started as a guest on something called The Gary Moore Show.
2: He did. I was about to say that you took the words out of my mouth.
0: And you know what? Gary Moore Show, I used to watch that sometimes as a kid. And one of my favorite people on that show was a guy named Derwood Kirby. Yeah. He was the comedian on that show. And so I remember The Gary Moore Show from the 1960s. So. Amber, what do you know about uh, Tim uh, Conway's early beginnings?
2: So I know before Carol Burnett, and let me just start off by saying I'm a total diehard Tim Conway fan. He is one of my absolute all-time favorite comedians. Um, he was also on the Steve Allen Show, as well as Mikkel's Navy. Um, and as you mentioned, yes, he was on the Carol Burnett Show. He was a frequent guest before they even considered, it, it didn't even cross their mind for a while, to actually have him as a permanent uh cast member on the carol burnett show
0: in fact it took seven years it
2: did it did but let me tell you something i delight in watching the reruns all the time it never gets old so good I, i actually had the privilege of seeing him live at the peabody before he died
1: mm-hmm. here in and, Daytona
2: in Daytona. And let me tell you something. The man is just as funny in person as he was on screen, if not funnier.
0: Oh, I don't. So
2: larger than life personality. And he didn't have to try to be funny. It just came naturally. And I think it came from his upbringing of, uh, of how he grew up. He was the son of an Irish orphan. And a Romanian mother, who was also technically an orphan, and she never really learned to speak English, um, and the father never learned to speak Romanian. The father didn't say much, but uh, the one phrase Tim's mom learned early on was to say, I like a hot fudge sundae. So she ate a lot of hot fudge sundaes. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um,
0: There's nothing like a hot fudge sundae. Right,
2: and if that's what you got to learn, the phrase, it's not such a bad phrase to learn. Yes, he didn't want to be a comedian originally. He did not set up to be a comedian. He wanted to be a horse jockey. And he did try his hand on it, but uh, staying on the horse proved to be hard, and he had a phobia of horses. So probably (laughs) not the best career choice to go into if you have a fear (laughs) of the animal that you're supposed to be riding. And as Tim pointed out, people who put money on those horses aren't so happy when the horse comes around and the jockey's not on them. So (laughs) And that was a short-lived career for Mr. Tim. Um. Tim's father uh, was what they called a whip back in Ireland and um, had a real hard time in Chargon finding a job as a whip. So he ended up working at a...
1: What is a whip?
2: Um, I guess from my understanding, they kind of work with animals and stuff, uh, hunting dogs or whatnot. Um, So he ended up helping to groom horses at the um, Chargon Polo Club and... um, Tim was born an only child. and he, Tim likes to say that he thinks that he was so perfect that they didn't want to take any chances of, of making a, a, a mess up by having another child, so they right. just stuck that, to the one. That makes sense. Um, so growing up, Tim had no cousins and no relatives other than mom and dad to be around. Um, they did attempt one time to go see uh, his father's sister. Uh, I believe her name was Maggie, Um, And like I said, when they came over from Ireland, they were both orphans when they left and orphans when they arrived. And uh, Maggie didn't really want to have any connection to the family, so um, the one time Tim and his then-wife attempted to go visit her, she wouldn't even come down to the door. Um, So he thought maybe she would like a TV and decided to go purchase her a television, only she wouldn't come down to collect it. And when they got home, when they left, they got a a notice from the Sears and Roebuck that the TV had been returned and that the money had been credited back to his account. <laughs> so, oh. um, again, no connection to relatives. He did have childhood friends growing up, which, which is good. Um, he led a very interesting childhood. They moved around a lot, but not uh, in a great distance. In fact, some of the times that they moved, it was walking distance, so they would carry the furniture down the street. Hmm. So Wow, oh, that saves money on a truck. Right. Uh, the one job they had, Tim thought that – they were rich uh, kids. We don't know better. Um, they lived on a property in what was referred to as "quote unquote" a cozy cottage of a gentleman who was kind of a uh, big deal in the polo community for that that hunt club. And his dad's job was to groom the horses. They they did fox hunting and they did polo. And his dad took care of the animals, and in doing so, and his mom did housekeeping. And so uh, they got to live on the property. And so uh, Tim was living high on the horse, if you will, Um, living there. He didn't realize that the money was tight. He was just a kid enjoying it and and referred to himself as a little prince. Uh, He had a lot of instances in his life um, that we would deem humorous, and he himself deems humorous. Uh, Again, I said, remember, there was no family growing up other than mom and dad. And when he was baptized or christened at the uh, church, There was no family to stand in as witness, so they pulled a custodian or a janitor over to witness. (laughs) And in the process, he was four months old, by the way, because he was a really colicky baby. In the process of doing the ceremony, nobody noticed that he had gone missing. They get halfway through the ceremony, and his father says, he's risen. And the priest looks down and says, he's dropped. (laughs) And the janitor says, yes, he rolled off the pillow and under the table. So the janitor had to get down on all fours and get the baby and put him back on (laughs) the pillow, anchored his ankle, mom anchored his arms, and the ceremony proceeded, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, So that was an infancy. So you can only imagine uh, how life went on with that, having such interesting parents. Again, strong Romanian mother, silent Irish father, um, and again, moving quite a bit. Um, Within a short period of time, they might be in a place for about a year or so, and then they would move like, maybe down the street a block away or uh, 16 miles. They moved about three times, I think, before they find their permanent home where he finishes growing up years. Um, Because they liked to save money, money was tight, um, his mom would do the same ritual every time they moved. She would take her foot pedal sewing machine, make the curtains for the house, and then she would go to the local hardware store with Tim and Tote and buy wallpaper. And... She refused to pay the extra money for the paste, so she would get Pillsbury flour and water and Tim and her and a bucket and stir it, and that was the wallpaper paste. And it was all well and good until the weather got cold and the furnace would heat the house and you would hear the cracking and the peeling and they would wake up the next morning to peeled wallpaper and Uh they they would have to replace it, which they did repeatedly over and over again. Um, But that was her method. The last pattern of wallpaper she picked, it was uh, horses jumping over a fence with hunting dogs behind them, But the house they were living in was a refurbished garage and uh, the walls weren't even. And so hanging wallpaper with a heavy pattern, as you know, if the walls don't meet up and the pattern's heavy, they had horses colliding into each other, um, going in different directions and whatnot. So it became kind of a thing of interest for Tim to bring over his buddies from school to show them the the awkward hanging wallpaper or whatnot.
0: You know, he had a lifelong hobby of sewing. He could actually sew anything like a new suit to uh, reupholstered furniture and so I have to think that that goes all the way back to his mom getting that sewing
2: Absolutely because of her being uh, an immigrant and them having to work for everything Um, he attributed the sewing to her bad knee later in life because everything was handmade but I do agree because he was known as being quite the seamster later in life and in fact he made a lot of costume pieces or whatnot um, as they talk about later on um very handy he he said he learned everything he needed to know from his mother before going into school hey why did i need to go to school he said um but he did go to school in fact
0: oh did he (laughs) boy did he ever
2: Uh, yeah 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 he went with style yeah tim he uh he was quite quite the man
0: took him 11 years to get through college folks Oh,
1: wow.
0: It's, uh-huh. sounds like my college yeah. career right and, now. And when asked about it, he would tell people, well, I was a slow learner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> amongst other things. I think he convinced them at one point he was a, a master chef, mm. and he was selling egg salad out of the dorms to try and make money for another scheme he was up to. And uh, when the when the fraternity got the bill for the boiled eggs, he was quickly put back to Dishboy.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah. He also mm-hmm. enlisted in the military for a short stint.
0: Yes, but before he did that, Amber... I have a, a little um, incident from his uh, stint there at Bowling Green State University. That
2: wouldn't be the car chassis stint, would it?
0: No, you'll have to tell us oh, about that Oh, that's one of my favorites. But y- you were mentioning that, um, you know, he was pretty innovative in, in getting money. And uh, he belonged to a fraternity, and uh, his uh, fraternity brothers in the Newman House, which was the Catholic Social Club, uh, he'd emcee their events.
2: This is true, this is true. He'd
0: emcee he- their events, and... Um, He'd, uh, what he'd do is he'd uh, gather about 15 jokes.
2: Yep.
0: He'd gather up 15 jokes. He'd learn those jokes. And then he'd tell those same jokes every Friday night at the Newman pizza parties. Every Friday night, the same 15 jokes. And then he dined for the rest of the week on the leftover pizza.
2: That's true. <laughs> that is true. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But then he moved to comedy sketches on the co- campus radio station, and then uh, we bring it back up to where you were uh, going with two years in the Army, and that that is where he decided to become a
2: comedian. And, you know, his name starting out was not Tim Conway. It was Toma. Ah. It was only later in showbiz that Toma became Tim because mm-hmm. Tim was easier to say than Toma. Toma is what his mother named him. Um, but, you know, talking back about his... Joke telling and whatnot in different ways he made money. He had a number of jobs um, to to pay for stuff while in college. In fact, when mom and dad scraped the money to get him to college at Bowling Green, uh, he left with fifty dollars in his pocket to get to school. And um, so he swore up and down he would pay his mom and dad back for the money they'd put for him to be able to go to school in the first place. And I, I think. Uh, Some of the jobs he had were interesting. One of his buddies from the fraternity talked him into buying a set of aqua lungs, and him and his buddy went to a nearby golf course and stripped down to their shorts, and their job was to scoop out the golf balls from the bottom of the lake Uh. and resell them to the pro shop Mm -hmm. uh, by by the pound, I guess it was. Um, That was short-lived. And then one of my absolute favorite stories of a job that he probably, probably should have... uh, (laughs) Should have passed up on maybe, but, you know, it wouldn't have been as exciting to tell this story, uh, was this car chassis scheme. Uh, Tim was always looking for a way to make a buck. And let me go back to saying he was the only one in this one who did not have a driver's license at the time. Hmm. So he was just now in driver's ed at this point. But he was so eager to make money that he never turned down a job. He agreed, him and some buddies... To uh, buddies from high school, not not from Mr. Retraining. I'm sorry. Uh, to meet up at a uh, Greyhound bus station and drive from uh, Detroit to Pittsburgh, 24 hour trip with a group of college kids, and they gathered at five in the morning at this place called Cecil's Garage. It sounds like the perfect name for a garage, right? Mm-hmm. And they piled into this Oldsmobile. That sets the time frame for you. And they took off on a a five-hour drive in pouring rain. I mean, pouring, did not stop. They made two stops for coffee and bathroom breaks. And they get to this garage. And when he gets there, he realizes he's just driving a car chassis back. Hmm. And when I say car chassis, folks, I mean just a metal frame, right? There's no windshield. There's no seats. There's no seat belts. There's nothing. It's literally just a steering column, a frame, the tires, and an engine or motor to make it run. And again, that beautiful weather we were talking about, that blowing rain. And they gave him an orange crate to sit on and uh, an inflatable cushion. Orange crates have nails. Can you imagine what happened with the the cushion and the nail? That's right, it deflated. So he ended up on a 24-hour road trip riding, as he said his back end was petrified by the time he got to where he was going, soaked to the skins. He ended up having to take the jacket he had with him and using that for a cushion to ride on, which meant he got completely drenched and he got all the way back to uh, where he was going and it wasn't worth the money he didn't make a whole heck of a lot but it made for a great story later
0: Mm -hmm. he was delivering the chassis to somebody i assume
2: he was he was there were five of them so it was him and his buddies okay but they didn't get back home till like 2 a.m in the morning and i think he only made 20 dollars for that whole thing Mm -hmm. yeah
0: but, you know, um, this is a rags-to-riches story. And so Tim Conway uh, knew how to do what he had to do, to cobble a few dollars here and a few dollars there and make things he work. He did, he
2: did. And, and as I went on to say, after he did, he did finish, he graduated in 1956. And uh, he enlisted. He said he the reason he thought he enlisted, he just couldn't fathom the idea of going back to the buzzing of his loving "Quote unquote, loony family," and he wasn't really sure what to do with his life, so he decided to listen to, in, into the military. And the night before he was to leave, his mom and dad threw kind of a shindig of people say goodbye to him, uh, which wasn't really their style. Usually, if people came over and they didn't want him around, they and they heard him come up the gravel road. His mother had a code word she'd yell, at, and the whole family would go under the kitchen table and pull the tablecloth down and wait till five minutes until everybody left. And they heard the gravel on the road before they would come out to make sure that they didn't have company. But in this case, they uh, threw a shindig. And he went to bed early, he got up at 6 a.m. the next morning, loaded the bus at the uh, bus station to get to military base or whatnot. Well, he was a whole day early and mm-hmm. got returned home. And his mom said, "What? why are you home so soon? He said, I'm on leave, Mom. Well, she, <laughs> she didn't understand what that was. And anyways, he loaded up the following morning and went back out to, to where he needed to be. But that was Tim for you.
0: And then he probably felt good about having, uh, you know, being taken care of in the military, um, food, food housing and a a regular salary so that probably was the first time in his life where he experienced that kind of security oh i'm sure you know he he was known to be loyal to his friends all through his life and he never said a bad word about anyone so you know what this is the kind of person you want to see succeed Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. life and so i think we're ready now to find out how indeed he really succeeded Let's talk about his television career.
2: So he started out in McHale's Navy, and and that was back before Technicolor. So um, I guess the fan base for McHale's Navy wasn't as big as it could have been being black and white as opposed to Technicolor. But I believe that changed up. He had one character on there that he did the the role of. And trying to think of the name of the person, I cannot think of his name at this moment. Mm
0: -hmm, That's okay.
2: Forgive me, I have a ton of notes of Mr. Conway here, but he, um,
0: let's, uh, in any event, we can continue on with his story.
2: He did a lot of shows. In fact, he had his own show before the Carol Burnett show, the Tim Conway show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you used to be able to pick up the DVD set at Cracker Barrel Mm -hmm. as I have. And he had a character on there called Dag Nash. It was a race car driver. And it was just him and a microphone and the different sound effects or whatnot. But he really pulled his audience in with that.
0: And then probably his biggest accomplishment was 11 years connected with Carol Burnett.
2: Not only biggest accomplishment, but a lifelong friendship. Yes. Uh, Carol and her husband and Sharky, Tim's wife, what a lovely name, uh, and Tim became lifelong buddies. And their families traveled together and they they did all kinds of stuff. Um, Very much family people on both sides and so um and actually if you read this book carol does the forward in this book Mm -hmm. and she talks about her first time meeting tim and her impressions on the name of the book is uh it's called tim conway Mm -hmm. what's so funny
0: tim conway what's so funny
2: what's so funny and then below it says my hilarious life
0: Mm
2: so Uh,
0: yeah uh, i've read that carol burnett absolutely adored him
2: so here's a little fact that not a lot of people, unless you're a diehard fan of the Carol Burnett show as I am, know. Um, but Tim and Carol got along way better than Harvey and Carol did. Harvey was kind of um, not the easiest fellow to get along with.
0: This is Harvey Corman
2: Harvey Corman. Now him and Tim would play off each other beautifully. They've done some wonderful skits. Mm-hmm. But behind the scenes, um, he was kind of a demanding person and kind of like thinks his way and wasn't real flexible. This is Harvey. This was Harvey. And Carol had basically said to him, you know, either straighten up or, or you're out. And Tim came along like a breath of fresh air and was totally opposite. And they just clicked. Mm-hmm. And, the way the show was done, they had a scripted, this is what we're doing, where they would sit down with the cast and they would go through their scripts and that was what they would do. But then Tim being Tim, he would get permission to do things his way, an ad-lib. And most of the time, Tim's ad-lib was the one that was recorded and broadcast and not the scripted thing because Tim's was so much funnier. Tim and Harvey, Carroll and Vicky had a... Uh, A routine joke between them, and that was to see who could crack or who could stay along in character without cracking from Tim. And Tim's job was to get them to come out of character. And if you know to look for this in the episodes, it doesn't take long for Tim to knock somebody out of character to where they Mm -hmm. completely forget what they're doing. Um,
0: Carol Burnett said, When Tim got on a roll, it was impossible to keep a straight face and not break up
2: yes there are there are many this is carol burnett yes there are many and she's a very trained actress yeah, i mean she knows her a, a role. comedian and she show. is and if you can break carol
0: mm-hmm. then you're something
2: yeah and he did he mm-hmm. i think every one of them fell victim yeah. to, to laughing at him
0: and you know uh they had actually a rather structured routine that uh you're talking about there it wasn't uh, kind of uh, just haphazard they actually uh planned each and every episode to do two tapings before two different audiences. Right. So, um, they would tape both of them on Fridays, different audiences. The first one would be as rehearsed as scripted. Mm -hmm. Then they'd get the second audience in and that's where lots of improv and, uh, you know, things uh, were added (laughs) and the laughs could go on from four to 10 minutes. And so uh, most of the time, as you mentioned, it was the second one that made, made the air because it right. was and so Tim, hilarious. And Tim was going
2: for a laugh. And so Tim yeah. would do everything he could yeah. to go for, and you know, some of them, I, I can watch them a hundred times and it's just as funny the hundredth time as it was the first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of his most notable sketches that he did for the Carol Burnett show was The Dentist. Mm-hmm. And Harvey Corman, of course, is your straight, lay, straight faced uh, patient. And sweet old Tim is the, the clumsy, klutzy, new to the scene dentist and misfires with the Novocaine and numbs his own hand before trying to do the root canal. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And before you know it, it's just this complete utter mess, but you're <laughs> laughing so hard that you just can't even see through your tears. Oh, I know it.
0: I've seen some of those episodes oh, you're referring to. They also, are hilarious. I
2: also love his oldest man sketches where mm-hmm. he's, you know, the oldest fireman or he's the oldest doctor or whatnot. I mean, just his determination and dedication to his character. I mean, he really poured himself into his roles. Like, he really mm-hmm. felt his roles. It was just.
0: He did a few movies, too.
2: He did. I think he was a part of the Apple Dumpling Gang.
0: Apple Dumpling Gang, Shaggy D A.
2: Right. Yep.
0: He did speed too. Yeah, and the yeah. Private Eyes with Don Knotts, and yeah. of course Don Knotts is one of my favorite yeah, funny men. And, right. And so, can you imagine Don Knotts and Tim Conway together? Oh my together? goodness! How, how
2: would you mackerel. keep a straight face? I wouldn't even be able to stay. On I mean, trip. you'd
0: be rolling uh, in the aisles I throughout. Mean, I don't the even entire know who thing. I love better. Yeah. Both of them
2: together would just be oh, yeah. the best.
0: Yeah, and they had such facial expressions too. They
2: did both of them. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I think um, Amber, uh, he, his, like I say, his is a rags to riches story. And, it is. And uh, we're so thankful that it is because he was certainly a deserving person. Like I say, not an unkind word toward anyone. Get along with everyone, which is hard to do in just about any job, but in the uh, t- TV and movie industry especially. And
2: he stayed humble. Yeah. How many people yeah. in Hollywood can yeah. you say that stay humble and you know yeah. remember where they came from? He was a proud grandfather too. And as mm-hmm. you mentioned, he sewed stuff. He made stuff for his granddaughters all the time. Just He loved family and people and just being and entertaining. I,
0: I've got a piece of his advice on how to bring up kids, which we can share with Gary. Oh, please do tell. I'm, I'm dying to find out. <laughs> okay, Gary, listen to this. I'm going to give you a direct quote now from Tim Conway. I don't think toy companies ever made anything as wonderful as a cardboard box. Oh, so that, true. I. you know what, though? I, I already know that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can turn it into a house. Kids can crawl inside with a flashlight. You can paint pictures on the side. You can cut out the windows. Now, Gary, you have a three-year-old toddler, Oliver.
1: He loves cardboard boxes. And, and I, that's something I have always said myself. So I think that's just something that goes along with uh, people who have a very active imagination. Because... We have turned cardboard boxes into submarines. We have turned it into the Ghostbusters firehouse. We have turned them into race cars and spaceships and uh, a portal to Toyland and all sorts of other things. And uh, sometimes he just wants the box so he can jump out of it and scare the living daylights out of mommy. Yeah, so okay. I mean, Oliver, not Tim Conway, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, Tim Conway was pretty um, pretty wise character when it came to knowing uh, what kids wanted and what would uh, benefit kids uh, with that statement
1: well you know what i he think spot on that the thing is is that some of us never grow up we're a kid at heart we you know grow up and have to do grown-up things but never completely keep that uh, childlike uh sensibility mm-hmm. and that really does I think, translate. i think, translate I, think totally
0: he
2: well. had that. I think he did that beautifully and i know for myself, I've tried to bring some of his beliefs or notions into imagination play with the summer jobs that we do. Of uh, We've always done this thing up until this past summer called destination imagination. And it's allowing little ones to use the very basic things around them and put their imaginations to use you know Gary would build a box and that box becomes an airplane and Gary becomes the pilot and it's almost like the no frills airline sketch with Tim Harvey and Vicky and Carol and they're on the airplane and you know the kids are forced into this imagination to where they start believing and they have so much fun because they're so you know so used to seeing stuff in, in, in print in front of it it has to be black and white but with your imagination limitless possibility I mean we just wrapped up another year of summer camp and the most popular area were the areas where the kids were using cardboard, cardboard boxes and imagination Mm -hmm. and just the ability to to use your voice and create a story and all this other stuff, thinking outside the box, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's awesome. And it's, it's such a gift, you know, and for Tim Conway to
0: be the first to publicize it.
2: Right. You know, he was the first one to
0: say, Hey, this is better than anything the toy manufacturers. I would
2: have to agree, you know, it, and I think humans aren't the only ones that get it. I saw a little, Cartoon with a cat in a box. Person had gotten mm-hmm. this beautiful cat tree out of the box, and the cat would rather have the box than the cat tree. So mm-hmm. even animals get, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the ability to have something so simple be so much fun. And I, I love the clean humor of them and Carol Burnett. It's funny without being too edgy, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's timeless. It doesn't matter that it was 1960s, 1970s, true. and here we are in 2022. It's just as funny and relevant now as it was when you were younger.
0: Well, on that note... Younger, he was in his 30s when that show Again, was on. younger.
2: Yeah. He was
0: younger. young youngish. On that note, I'm going to recommend that our listeners find an episode of The Carol Burnett Show and watch Tim Conway at his funniest.
2: I think I'll do just that. Thank you for the, uh, the invite. <laughs> I'm getting my popcorn and my chair ready now.
0: There you go. Hey, Gary, I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Gary, and that's Amber, and this was a very incredible story. Join us again next time for more incredible stories.